thank you for listening to Share the Load. I'm gonna do some of my um, quote-unquote ads at the top today, and I ask that you please not fast forward. We really do need your help to sustain this work. Even if some of these aren't fitting for you, I hope that you'll help spread the word. July 24th and 25th, Aphomia and I are offering a two-part class on authenticity and, and social media for anyone who is trying to build a business and a brand um, and feel resourced and authentic on social media and not burn out. Juan and Rebecca and I are offering an Embodied Boundaries retreat. They were on the episode before this one. Uh, That is July 28th and 29th in the Los Angeles area. In July, I'm also offering what was the men's program last year and now is uh, Boundaries and Consent and Masculinity. Ari Simon is going to be joining me to do a session on grief and a session on masculinity. The Boundaries in Your Business two-part class is now recorded and available on Thinkific, as well as the six-part basics foundational class, my practicing no class, nonverbals, and some pronoun practice, one class for family and friends, and one class for practitioners. If you're looking for a little bit of luxurious self-care, the link to Foria, uh, a CBD wellness brand, is in the show notes. And if you use that link, um, the podcast and consent wizardry, get 10% of whatever you purchase. And you can use the code MIAS20 for 20% off. That's a really wonderful way to help um, support what we do and get yourself a little something nice. Um, passive income is really crucial for this work because I do a lot of work for free, such as this podcast and the Instagram. Um, so I really count on some of that passive income, the recorded classes on Thinkific, which are also linked in the show notes, um, and classes to support this show and the, the surrounding work. Beyond that, free ways to help support are to take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You just heard Tennessee shaking her collar. Um, Rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us um, with search engine optimization within podcast apps. Um, And again, that's just a way to help spread the word. Uh, I really do want this to reach as far as it possibly can, and I hope that you do as well. The last thing that I will say is that I offer workshops um, on my own. I offer workshops uh, that are tailored to particular groups. So if you work in an office um, where you think that this kind of work would be really beneficial, um, let them know. Send my website, consentwizardry.com, to your HR department. We are offering um, professional wellness consulting uh, with various people who've been on the show. Um, Umu, Minachi, Layla, Dr. John, um, uh, several other people who do amazing work. Um, We put together a team that fits the needs of your group. I can also be hired separately to speak or to run a workshop or to consult. Um, You can either email me 
mia at sharetheloadinc.com or you can book me through sean at collectivespeakers.com that's s-e-a-n and please consider subscribing to the newsletter so you can stay up to date with what's going on. Um, that's consentwizardry.com slash newsletter. Um, and another free way to help support is to forward that email to people who you think would benefit from the content that's inside. Um, really, whatever you can do to help spread the word is greatly appreciated. And if you have questions that you want answered on the podcast, Email them in written or voice note form to podcast at sharetheloadinc.com. Welcome back to Share the Load. I'm your host, Mia Schachter. I use they, them pronouns. And today I'm talking to Kitty Stryker, um, and I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm Kitty Stryker. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm... The author of the book, Ask Yourself, the Consent Culture Workbook, which is a workbook of 28 prompts that will hopefully help people understand better their relationship to consent, not just as an action, but also as a concept. Hmm. Um, I also play D&D. I volunteer at the local animal shelter I do street medic work, so I'm sort of all over the place. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amazing, uh, multifaceted. I'm I'm familiar with that life. <laughs> um, well, I think what excited me most about um, having you on the show was the ways that our work overlaps um, in terms of like one's relationship with themselves. Um, I've found uh, a lot of people that I've worked with have talked about how like they learned about consent as a way to treat other people well and not so much as a way into knowing themselves. So I'm curious about how that made its way into your work like was it kind of like you like for me it was like I looked back and I was like oh this is present like this theme is here and it was something that other people were pointing out to me about my own work and I wonder if you had more of that kind of experience or more of like a conscious like was it a conscious decision to talk about that well so when I to give a little bit of history when I started doing consent culture workshops and blogging and um, discussion groups, etc. I think that there was very much this sense of recognizing how often my consent had been violated and how in the kink community that I was in at the time that, um, you know, we talked a big game about consent, but in practice, that wasn't what was happening. Mm-hmm. And there was this sort of social acceptance that, well, when you're new, you're going to have your consent violated until you figure out where your boundaries are. Uh, so I think that like, it's was sort of both at the same time, even early on, because it's like, well, I'm recognizing that there's ways in which I feel my consent has been violated, but also there's this acknowledgement that I don't fully know 
where my boundaries are mm-hmm. to advocate for them ahead of time. Um, I think some of that is is natural and is very human. We don't know what the limitations are necessarily until we've crossed them 100% of the time. So that made me think, well, okay, if that's true, if we're all kind of stumbling through this and we don't really know where our lines are, so we can't communicate them to others very clearly, and we don't really know how to communicate them clearly, especially when power dynamics come into play, well, no wonder this keeps happening. <laughs> like, and no wonder it's happening not only within this community, but in so many other communities that I was a part of. I think soon after the kink community started to talk about abuse within it, you started seeing those conversations come up in like alternative sexuality or Burning Man or polyamory. So I think that, and and I mean, I would even say from there, you started to see it like, oh, and also this impacts workers collectives. And, you know, so it's like, as you started to expand out, you started to realize, oh, okay, well, this is impacting everything in my life. But there's just this assumption that we know what consent is and we all have the same definition. Mm-hmm. And that there's this moment when we, I guess, when we become 18, that a light shines down on us and we are deposited with all of our boundaries. <laughs> Right. Um, but that's not what happens. <clears throat> no. So, so how, I, I guess the question that I ended up coming up with through this was how can you acknowledge that that is not practical or possible while also acknowledging that when your boundaries get crossed, it hurts? Um, how can you acknowledge that sometimes people are crossing boundaries because they are uncaring and selfish, but sometimes they're doing it because they don't know what they're doing either. Right. And maybe it's not malicious. Um, I think a lot of conversations about consent at that time that I was witnessing was about avoiding rape culture. Yeah. Um, avoiding this negative thing. And I saw the definition of what rape culture was had this definition creep that started to cover so many things. Mm -hmm. Um, But there wasn't a lot of discussion of, okay, so what do we do instead? Like, what are the tools? So a lot of my work was about that. So it was sort of concurrently recognizing things that were happening with other people and um, in that sort of dynamic way, while also being like, oh, but I'm responsible for figuring this out for myself also. Yeah. Yeah, I I really like a lot of what you said in there. I think I've I've started I've seen a lot of what you're talking about and like of you know, a lot of conversations around consent are like how do we avoid sexual assault? And when we have so few opportunities or so few examples of like people talking about consent interpersonally like outside of the sexual realm, um and and when our idea of like what consent is is inextricably linked to sex as it is for so many people yeah um then 
you know, we're expected to like suddenly know, as you say, like be, you know, uploaded like 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 a floppy disk or something like consent information is your audience gonna know what a floppy disk is (laughs) you know what if they don't they can google it because they have those skills um but you know or like whatever like an app okay where like you download the (laughs) app and then you suddenly like know what consent is in one of the highest stakes realms that a person can be in like you know, go have sex and you should know how to do this. And it's interesting because like, as you're talking, all these like stories, all these experiences are flashing in my mind's eye, like not of having my consent violated, but of having of people reacting to when I talk about like, I work in consent, you know, I teach consent. I've had someone say, it's such a shame that that has to be taught, you know, basically insinuating like, I'm really good at that. Right. And it's like, of course it has to be taught. Someone had to teach you how to hold a fork you know like someone had to teach you how to walk like why would you just know how to and and then there's also this sort of reduction of consent to like asking for permission like is this okay yes okay I did it that's what consent is um right and it's just it's like and then and then you know what you're talking about around like I I often talk about how like I'm the most frequent violator of my own consent like I say I'm not gonna yeah. check my email past 7 p.m and then I'm checking my email at 10 p.m you know yeah um, and then these other ways where it's like there's often this conversation around the conversation around consent is like just say no or like just don't do stuff you don't want to do but it's like my lived experience is not that my lived experience is that I'm doing stuff I don't want to do constantly because I'd Absolutely. rather be taking a nap or <laughs> I would yeah. rather be lying outside on the grass, you know, or even like, like I take out my trash. I've never wanted to take out my trash in my life. I don't want to scoop my cat's litter. So it's like, you know, I think there's this way that we're, we're told like, it's as simple as just don't do things that you don't want to do. And it's like, it's really not because your life has constant things that you simply have to do to keep it going. Like we yeah. have to be having like a more complex conversation than just like, just say no. Or like, why didn't you say no? You know? Yeah. Actually, that was a- I have a, I, I'm, I'll, <laughs> I'll ask for my dad's forgiveness later, I guess. Uh-huh. But I have an interesting story about that. That's um, been, a really good illustration, I think, when people are struggling to understand how complex consent is. So my dad needs to go and get a colonoscopy. He mm. does not want to get this colonoscopy at all. He has put it off, I think, for at least five years. So he really has to go and do it now. Mm-hmm. Now, in order to have that kind of medical procedure done, if you want to um, be put... um under anesthesia, then you need to uh, have somebody available to drive you home, right? So, and the reason for that is, is I think kind of sensible. There have been problems with like Uber drivers taking advantage of people while they've been um, knocked out or like Mm. woozy and in recovery. So now there is a precedent where doctors will not let you go home with an Uber driver. It has to be someone you know. Now, the problem with that is my dad lives on the other side of the country from me. 
my brother is a doctor and is very rarely available and sort of at random times. So it's very hard to schedule around him. And my mother just passed and she wasn't capable of driving at the time anyway. So what is he supposed to do? Well, his options are wait longer, which is probably what he wants to do. He wants to wait until one of us will drive him, but that could be another year or two and that could be really dangerous. So that's one choice. Or he can uh, go and um, get the procedure done, but he doesn't get put under. So Mm. he doesn't get any numbing agents. He is just awake and alert for the whole thing, which is going to be super uncomfortable. Um, now it's, it, it's not terrible for most people, but it puts him in a really weird situation consent wise, where he already feels coerced into doing this at all (laughs) for his health. And then now because of circumstances, because the medical industry expects that he has family and friends who are able to drive, uh, you know, at the age of 70, um, he now has to do it without having any kind of pain relief during the process. Um, so like both of his options are coercion, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and it's coercion on top of the coercion of having to do it in the first place. Right. The consequences so, of having a body that ages. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so like the whole idea of like, well, don't do anything you don't want to do. Well, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I I have to go to work. I don't want to do that. I have to pay rent. I definitely don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. We all have to do things we don't want to do. I think that there's also situations where you're like, I guess I don't get to take the painkillers because otherwise I can't drive myself home. Right. That's not consent exactly. Right. That is acquiescing, perhaps. But I think that that's very different. And when you take that kind of like, well, you said yes, so it's fine. And you apply it to sex, you know, it becomes really like people begin to understand like, oh, right, it is complicated. You can say yes to things, but be reluctant. You can say yes because you don't have another option or it is the best out of a bunch of bad options or you don't want to do the thing, but you want the end result of the thing. For example, in my dad's case, he wants the end result of making sure he doesn't have prostate cancer. Yeah. So he's willing to go through this unpleasant process and even willing to do it without any kind of numbing because he wants that end result of making sure he doesn't have cancer. Yeah. Now, I think a lot of people would understand in that circumstance that he is giving enough consent Right. He is giving informed consent. So that should count. But when it comes to something like sexuality, there is not really a respect for, well, it's not something I'm super into. I'm not enthusiastic, but I'm fine with it happening and I want the end result. Right. That's like a whole area that is like untouchable. Yeah. People won't touch it. People won't touch it. I mean, as an asexual, I experience that all the time. As a sex worker, I experience that all the time. Like, you know, and honestly, when I was working in retail, I didn't want to have (laughs) all of those customers and deal with them either. But 
in one circumstance, it was seen as I was being violated. And in the right. other circumstance, it was seen as, well, what did you expect? <laughs> right. This is part of the job you signed up for this. Right. And, you know, it's just, I. it's so messy. And I think that people want it not to be because yes. they want to feel secure that they will never hurt anybody and they just have to do the right things so they will avoid ever being hurt. Right. I hate to say it. That's impossible. That's not going to happen. You're going to get hurt and you're probably going to hurt other people. And that is just part of living in a society where we are all wounded animals stumbling through the brush. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, being that's in relationships. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, this, so many things are coming up for me and like a lot of stuff that's been on my mind for a long time. And a lot of stuff that's been on my mind very acutely, very recently. Um, I, I, I talk a lot about like you are going to make people uncomfortable and you have made people uncomfortable. And like, that's a truth that we have to be able to live with because I have yeah. so many people come to me and go like, I just don't ever want to make anyone do anything that they're not comfortable with. And I have to be, you know, the bearer of bad news and be like, I hate to break it to you, but you cannot guarantee that ever. And there's like people In fact, who- yeah, I would almost guarantee if you ever have to be a caretaker to an yes. animal, to a child, to a senior, yeah, you are absolutely going to have to do that a lot. Yes. <laughs> so you're going to have to accept that, you know? Right, right. And if you think, like, I've said that before, and so many people go like, this is so fucked up and you know, like, like, uh, or, or they start to, they, they say that it's like true for other, you know, they, they'll say like, yeah, you are all gonna make people uncomfortable as though like they are not going to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's like, hang on a second. If you turn it back on yourself for a second, think about how often you've been made uncomfortable and not said anything. Like, you know, I had a guy at yeah. craft services call me sweetie. And like, I didn't say anything. It wasn't worth my energy. Like, so right. I didn't say anything. And like, was I hurt? No, I'm okay, you know? But like, from a consent standpoint, like, no, I never agreed to like be called that. But I'm not yeah. also leaving that dynamic feeling like violated. And now I have to like, get help, you know? That is That has been a huge reason why I've tried to pull a lot of my consent conversation stuff away from sexuality. Yeah. I think that that is such a touchy area that it's hard for people to have any kind of objectivity. Yes. Understandably. I mean, we are not good as a society at taking consent violations of any kind seriously. Right, right. Um and so, you know, I understand why people are very uh defensive and protective around these issues. But I think when you start to take it outside of that and into things like you know, med the medical field or yes. the workplace or I mean, especially parenting. Yep. I think that you begin to understand that there is a world of difference between always saying yes and always saying no. Like that there is a huge difference between what the ideal of consent is and what the reality of consent is. Yes. 
and, and all the that variables that have bearing on whether or not. Uh, yeah, yeah, all the different power dynamics and the ways that you've learned about consent, um, environmental differences. Like, I, I definitely see the ways in which individualism here in the United States impacts people's understanding of consent and accountability and responsibility to each other versus somewhere that's more communal. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was thinking a lot about China and mask wearing during the pandemic, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. there was a culture of we do this to protect our community. And so the way to encourage people to do it was to remind them of the community benefits. Right. Well, here in the United States, <laughs> It's been a, it was a real struggle. It still is a real struggle because we don't have that focus on community. We have that focus on individualism and freedom. And so trying to encourage Americans to do something for the greater good right. is impossible. Good we don't want to do that. That's not our thing. Like, you know, we're, we're, we will rebel specifically against that, even if it's our, in our best interest. Right. Um, and so I think like remembering that cultural stuff impacts this, um, you know, how aware you are of racism and anti-racism, ableism impacts mm -hmm. this. Um, all of these different power dynamics are affecting us in ways that are sometimes really obvious and sometimes it's hard for us to even figure it out and it, it takes us some time to really untangle yeah yeah I think that brings us to like what we also said we wanted to talk about which was the ways that our work like stays out of sex for for various reasons um and I I have a I have a story that that I want to share um but I, I think first I'd like to hear from you um, a little bit about like, yeah, maybe you're, you were, you were expressing like some feelings of being like sick of talking about sex, consent and sex. And just like, yeah, what, yeah like what, where are you now with it? Like, I don't need to ask you to go all the way back and like describe your journey with it. But like, where well, are you now? I mean, I think the irony of being a consent educator, being very public about consent conversations, especially when you specifically were talking about rape and abuse, is that whenever you enter a space, people love to come up to you and tell you in great detail yes. about violations that they've experienced. Yes. Um, and, and I mean, there is part of me that's like, this is this is also a problem. Like this is a consent violation. You yes. can ask me if I wanted this. Like, Correct. I'm I'm just here to have fun. Right. I was hoping to like, you know. I mean, this was back when I was still drinking. But I was like, I just wanted to get <laughs> drunk and like, you know, watch. Like, I'm at a party. Fuck. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to listen to this because now I'm gonna be like stressed out and feel like I have to take care of you. Yeah. Um. On the other hand, I also recognize that so many people don't have somebody that they can talk to about nuanced consent. And so I, it put me in a really weird position of like, I want to help, but also I have got to have some distance from this. Yeah, And I mean, you know, I ended up basically becoming a, an asexual hermit just to like <laughs> protect myself. 
because I was afraid if I left my house, I was going to be accosted by, you know, these really upsetting stories and this expectation that I was going to do something about it. And like, I think that's why I wrote a workbook, honestly, Mm. is that I realized very early into this that I did not want to be somebody who told people, I have the answer. Just do this. Follow this formula and you will never be hurt again and you will never hurt anybody else. I'm not going to lie to people and say that. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I would make a lot more money if I did. (laughs) If I was a self-help guru who made promises about how you could live your best, most perfect most consensual life, um, I I would, I would be doing financially much better. Yeah, <laughs> but that would be a lie. And ethically, I am very uncomfortable with that. And I distrust people who do offer that kind of education because, like you said earlier, I think that there's this uh, distancing that happens with consent educators sometimes where they do act like they are above this. They have learned the truth right. from on high, and now they are, you know, sharing the word with you. Yes, the good um, word, the way. Yeah, and I mean, and and, and it is that. Like, I, I mean, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts about, like, <laughs> pseudoscience and cults and fringe <laughs> religious groups, and, like, I think it's really important to remember even Jim Jones thought he was doing something really good for the community and there were good things in sure. what he was doing. Not all of his ideals were terrible. That's what makes it so creepy, you right. know? And like, I really didn't want to be that person myself. Like, I don't want to be a pillar of the community in that way because that feels incredibly unstable and it gives me no room for my own mistakes, which I absolutely no I will do again you know right um so I think that I was talking on another podcast and I was realizing as I was talking that I think the opposite of consent culture is fear Mm. and Mm. the reason I think that is because as long as you are trapped in fear I think that you are making decisions based on what you think other people's reactions are going to be yeah. and trying to manipulate that rather than like what is true to you. Hmm. Um, and I will, I will be honest. Like I think fear has prevented me from making connections with people from yeah. getting out there and doing more education because I'm afraid of, messing up I, I'm afraid of messing up even though that's like the basis of everything right. I teach um and so I think the workbook was kind of a defensive way to be like here if you do this workbook you should have most of the tools that you need to figure out how you feel about this <laughs> but right. it also says don't look to somebody else to be the judge that tells you how to behave or what this person deserves or what you deserve. Um, you have to apply critical thinking to it and you have to be humble and you have to be honest and you, I hope have to offer people most of the time a chance mm. to grow. 
and evolve. Yeah. I'm going to, I say it every time. I'll say it again. I absolutely think there are some people out there that are just massive dicks and like yeah. don't deserve <laughs> grace and, you know, or, or maybe they deserve grace, but they're not going to take advantage of it. You know what I yeah. mean? And so like, I think that happens and I'm not going to pretend that, you know, be all Pollyanna about it. Like, oh, well, if only we did it this way, then, right. you know, we could convert all of the rapists and abusers. I, I don't think that, but I also do think that a lot of cases that I've heard when I've really gotten down into the nitty gritty, there's some issues that are really constant. Like, yeah, people under the influence make decisions in the moment that sound good then and later realize it was a bad idea. And both of those feelings are honest right. and all of the information they have at the moment. Yeah, or or people have different definitions of sex and are not practiced Absolutely. at talking about what they both are defining as sex. Yeah, that's a or really safer common sex, one. right? You know, right. like that's been a big one. And I mean, and I think that that's that's true. Um, I I think about that a lot when it comes to sobriety. You know, yes. like I don't drink and I don't smoke weed. Um, I do vape CBD. And I do occasionally do hallucinogenic mushrooms. I consider <laughs> myself sober, but I can't even use the term California sober because I don't right. smoke weed. And so like when I talk about my relationship to sobriety and recovery, I'm very careful to explain what that means to me because, you know, I don't think that my experience of sobriety would be welcome in right. a lot of AA groups because I still do substances as far as they're concerned. I've, I've known people in, in those meetings that won't eat bananas because there's alcohol in bananas, you know, there is, I'm not that extreme. There is, it's not a huge amount, but there are people that. who care. There are people who care about that. Wow. Um, and, you know, and I'll drink kombucha. I'm not, like, worried about that. Yeah. It's not, to me, that's not going to challenge my sobriety. To me, drinking a non-alcoholic beer is not something hmm. that impacts my sobriety. But if I'm holding a sober event, I am going to double check that right. my definitions are okay with everyone else. And I'm going to set the, the, the tone yeah. at the least comfortable person. Right. So right, that everybody right. is comfortable, you know, and that involves a lot of foresight and thinking. And sometimes something will come up that I haven't thought about, like bananas, right. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, that's new to me. Yeah. You know, and so like, I think that that's, that's why the humility is so important, right? Because like, yeah, why you would never think that that would be an issue or like kombucha is a non-alcoholic drink. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't really think of that as a problem at a sober picnic or something. But for some people, that does feel triggering. And so it's like, I think that it's important to recognize as much as you may like to use content warnings or or give people as much information as possible, you're never going to catch everything. And being humble right. about that, and rather than being afraid to do anything because you might get told off about something you didn't know or didn't think about just do it 
And then when somebody says, hey, I don't think you knew this, but were you aware of this? Say, oh my God, I didn't. And I'm glad to take that information on board, you know? And then figure out what you're going to do next time. Maybe you will make it clear. There will be bananas here and that is okay. And if that is uncomfortable for you, this is not the picnic for you. Or maybe you'll say, you know, I really want that person here. So I'm not going to have bananas and I'm going to encourage other people not to have bananas either. Yeah. I, I And I think that both of those are fair, you know? It's just like, yeah, it's that challenging that fear. Not letting being afraid make you freeze. Yeah. And I think, you know, to what you're saying about the reason why you provided this workbook was so that other people could ask the questions of themselves to figure out what they believe. It's like, that's that's it. Like you get to decide what you believe and, yeah. and what you're going to, you know, how you're going to host and have bananas or not. And then other people are going to get to do that for themselves. I So much of what you're talking about, it's really amazing. It's like you're kind of reading my mind right now because I like I, I posted today. Not on purpose. <laughs> well, okay, you're, you're allowed. Um, uh, I posted today about content warnings and how like in my classes, I prioritize vulnerable sharing over the need to like monitor what you're going to say and try to give a content warning in real time. Like the class itself is about consent. We're going to be dealing with themes that are heavy and difficult. And like the class itself, I'm going to be able to tell you what I can think is going to might be activating. But I also trust that you're going to be able to manage your own activation And this is why I have like an age requirement in my classes and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that when it comes to informed consent, like I can give you the information that I think I would need, but I cannot read your mind. And so if you need certain information, then you need to ask, ask me for that. Like, that's what we need. We need to be, this needs to be like a collaborative effort. Yeah, absolutely. And also, and it's okay to be in a space and then suddenly be like, oh, actually, this is too much for me right now, you know, right. like that, that's okay, too. Um, I, I've been thinking about, I, I usually when I do a consent workshop, I'll say, look, you can straight up get up and leave whenever you want, for whatever reason, you will mm-hmm. not offend me. I, you know, want you to take care of yourself, whether that is you need to take a call because your kid is being babysat or, you are bored and you don't want to be here anymore. That's fine. You know, mm-hmm. like, and I, I almost think that it might be worthwhile for me to plant somebody in the audience who's to just do it up and leave. Yes. Because I, I think that there's that sense of like, we need somebody else to do it and prove that it's fine. So right. The permission. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, Sometimes you do kind of have to give that like, no, really, it's okay. Yes. Um, yes. Because I think it's trained out of us, you know, like we're right. encouraged to sit through things. Well, and, and to worry just, how you're going to feel about them leaving as opposed to like, what yeah. do I need? I need to leave. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think saying like – um the only person you have control over is yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no matter what, like, you can do the best you can to communicate with other people and hope that they will respect what you say. But, like, the only person that you can ultimately control is yourself and your choices. Um, And disengaging is a fair choice and right. is 
perfectly fine. I mean, I've I've gotten up and walked out of a workshop because I wanted to smoke a cigarette and I just needed to do that right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that's fine. I think that there's, a, I mean, I would say the education system kind of pushes us to put our own needs aside. You can't eat in the classroom. Right. You have to ask to use the bathroom and you can only do it once per class or whatever. Right. You know, I mean, I know as a child, I peed myself because I was afraid that I wasn't going to be allowed to go to the bathroom and I didn't want the embarrassment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, yeah, I I think that's really sad, you know, yeah. like, and I think that, like, it's so interesting that we preach this individualism and at the same time, people are desperately afraid mm-hmm. to, to ask for what they need. To ask for what they need. And like, I, I think that we've really pushed that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to go back to something that you were talking about before, which is like this thing that, that I've also been, you know, it feels like, again, like you're kind of reading my mind because I have this, these posts like lined up over the next couple days. And I'm <laughs> like, wow, this is just like so on point. This, this idea of like, no matter how, as a consent educator, that you become like the arbiter of good and bad and yeah. that people look to you as a spiritual guide or a guru. And then like your greatest failing is your humanity, no matter how yes. much you or I talk about like, consent mistakes are part of life or like sometimes you don't know what your boundaries are until you find it you know like you may not know that you don't like something until it happens and then and then you're like oh this is a boundary and um and that people are going to look to you for the for the way and I'm and I'm starting to see that especially on social media and it's like you know with bringing consent into it it's like this is not something that I agreed to. And I often feel like the posts in which I'm addressing this phenomenon get the least amount of traction because people mm-hmm. don't want to look at it. Um, and then and then also seeing this thing that, that you touched on where like a lot of people, um, yeah, like don't, they'll even look to you as like the expert on, on them. Like the, 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 you know, the process of like self-inquiry and knowing yourself and like finding the way that works for you is like so intimidating and not something that we often have modeled for us or encouraged. Um, And so as a result, there's a lot of like deferring to the judgment of people who are seen as authority figures. And like for for me, I started doing this because it, it was changing my life, not because I thought I was like, like better at it than anybody or that I thought I was like ever going to be perfect at it. Um, but I think I'm, I think I'm seeing something happen, which is like, I, I think you kind of started to get into this, which is like a way that a lot of people I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people kind of like lean on consent language and what they're learning in cons- around consent as like a way to uh, like reaffirm that, blaming other people is like the only way to kind of get uh justice or like to 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 for them to heal I don't know I don't have it like totally formulated yet yeah but there's like a yeah. like a kind of 
weaponizing of consent you oh this is what you said you said that the opposite of consent culture is fear and i'm Mm -hmm. seeing a lot of people use the language of consent and like you know say like but consent but consent as a way to like bypass their own work on like or or even to like find support and find healing um you know well my consent was violated therefore someone else has to be punished in order for me to be okay and so often, you know, we've been talking about this, like consent violations happen because people have conflicting needs or different definitions of something, or it was an accident. And like, I I think we need to, I, I really want to be investing more in like people getting, having access to like the healing that they need and the support in that rather than what I'm seeing so often, which is this like, this, this impulse to just like blame, blame, blame. Well, I think a lot of that fear and shame kind of link together there. I think that there's, you know, the reason why people need to have someone to blame that isn't themselves is because, you know, victim blaming is a real thing and that's us. And like, that's also not okay. It's like, it's just so hard. Like none of these things I think can have a formula that works in yeah. every situation. It's just impossible because we are all different people who have different needs and different ways that we grew up and different spiritual inclinations that impact our relationship to consent. Um, I think uh, it's it's interesting because I've been reading a lot about different people's relationships to religion And I've appreciated some orders of nuns who just are nuns by themselves. They don't interact with the public. They do their own thing. They have a relationship to God. And that's that, you know, like they're not looking to evangelize to people. They're not looking to impact policy. It is it is against their relationship to God to force their opinions on others like it has nothing to do with their spiritual inclination and I feel like that's kind of how I feel about consent that like I the guidance I can provide is encouraging you to ask better questions Mm -hmm. and really sit with those answers and to let those answers change over time you know I was much more angry and and vengeful in my radical politics when I was in my Mm twenties. Um, and I mean, I still have bits of that, you know, and like that still exists for me. And also I've started to be like, well, I mean, that's fine and good for me and healthy for me in some cases. Yeah. But also I can only be angry at five people at a time. (laughs) I have ADHD. I only have so much attention. And, you know, if I feel really angry at somebody, I have to be like, okay, are you, is my anger with you worth uploading one of the five? Because the five, they really deserve that anger. And you have to do a lot to me to make it so that I think you're worth replacing one of those five with you. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, I let a lot more things go. Right. Um, I've also been thinking a lot. I, I listened to a podcast that I really recommend. Um, well, it was a video 
presentation that I heard as a podcast by Carrie Poppy from Oh No, Ross and Carrie, which is a podcast of two ex-evangelicals who are exploring pseudoscience and claims of the paranormal and various fringe religions. Um, And Carrie Poppy did a talk on the pseudoscience of trauma. And who like that was definitely one of those things that I listened to. And I was like, I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time Mm. because she made some really interesting points about the definition of trauma and how that definition has sort of crept from being extremely narrow to being almost too broad. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of like influencers on, Mm. on social media who talk about being trauma informed, they aren't scientifically trauma informed like they aren't reading that data yeah um they are speaking from a place that i think is is also important that sort of intuitive communication with people that isn't possible necessarily to put down in a peer-reviewed double-blind study um but Also, that means that you can make claims that don't have a lot of support and that a lot of people who read these claims begin to define all of these things that happen to them as trauma, and it doesn't make them feel more heard or seen. It makes them more afraid. It makes them more paranoid. And thus they begin to cling to these educators who could tell them what to do and how to be less afraid. Um, Think, you know, like, why does he do that? You know, it's like these things, I think there is something to having those resources, but I also think that's getting way out of control and you need to have the balance of like, is this serving you anymore? I think that it is fair to be wary based off of red flags you may have seen in the past. But I don't think that it's helpful to say that every person who's ever hurt you is a narcissist. Right, right. You know, I think that, I think there's there's a limitation there. And I think that when you do that, you're not serving yourself in that you are, first of all, you're saying, these are behaviors that other people do to me and yes. I have never done them, which right. I'm, I'm going to say this. We are all selfish. Yes. We are all selfish. We have all done things that would be listed as narcissism according to these Instagram influencers. And if right. you can look me in the eye and say that you've never done it, I'm going to call you a liar to your face. Yeah. We have absolutely all done it. Because we live in a society based on individualism. So, of course, we have. We've been encouraged to do that. Yeah. So maybe rather than saying, like, everyone is an abuser and everybody is a narcissist, it is better serving us to sit back and say, what are my behaviors and how can I model more of the behavior I want to see? Like, how can I better influence myself in how I respond to things in how I hear no, for example, Mm -hmm. um, so that people feel safe and comfortable saying no to me. 
I work really hard on being somebody that people feel they can confront. Mm -hmm. I want to be someone that people feel safe saying, hey, I think you're wrong. I think that your information is bad. Or I think, you know, when you said that, you ignored this other thing and it was really hurtful. I want people to come to me and say that. And so if I want that, then I need to be vulnerable in that moment and be like, oh no, okay, well, let me educate myself on this. And like, what can I do to help you feel safe right now? Rather than, well, I didn't know, how dare you come to me with this? Like, you know, don't you trust me? (laughs) You're right. And like, those feelings are all very valid, you know? And like, I, I get that. It is extremely hard to let go of that fear and need that need to protect ourselves. But I don't know. I mean, I'm a lot more chill now, mm-hmm. <laughs> I gotta say, because I don't feel like I'm having to be hypervigilant. Yeah. Because I, I no longer see being hypervigilant as something that actually keeps me safe. Or, or gets you any closer to perfection. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't. If anything, it makes it harder for me to achieve that sort of getting as close to ideal consent as possible because I can't see when I have done wrong. Right. Um, I don't know. It's a very very sort of like Siddhartha's journey kind of like way to look at this, right? Of like, you know, you look everywhere for enlightenment and then it bonks you on the head when you sit under a tree. Right. Because you're like, ah, fuck it. You know? Like, yeah, I give that, up. That feels very true to like my journey with consent. Totally. Um, and I think that's really cool. You know, like I think that's very exciting and fun. And I think that, you know, it's, yeah, of course. Of course it's a hit to the ego when I fuck up and somebody tells me that. Of course it is. Because I'm still a person, you know. But I make a choice to control my own behavior and do the thing that I hope will encourage people to come to me and do that because I want them to give that same grace to other people. You know, it's like, and I, and I've seen that working. It's slow. I'm not, I'm not going to change the world. You know, I was total sidebar. I was talking on this author's um, uh, Facebook page um, and she had posted something about how, like, well, you know, we're all the villains of somebody else's story, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's part of being a protagonist is that you're going to be the villain in somebody else's story. And I've seen stuff like that before. And I think there's, yeah, you know, I mean, like, there is some, you do have to kind of come to terms with the fact that anytime you are doing something, there is a good possibility someone in the world doesn't like it, whether that's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. going to pride or, mm-hmm. you know, writing an essay. And sometimes people don't like it because the thing that you did is is harmful, like being a neo-Nazi. Yeah. And sometimes it shouldn't impact anybody else, like who I decide to date or not date. But one of the things that I thought was so interesting was I was like, wow, like, I don't think I'm the hero in my own story either. I don't need to be a hero. I'm just a guy who's like, doing my thing, trying to be a little bit better today than I was yesterday and a little bit better tomorrow than I was today. But like, 
you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to have this intense, heavy impact on the world. And I don't need that. I just want to make my little bit of the world a little bit better. Um, and I think that's enough. But I think that, um, you know, it, it's hard for people to accept that. And this guy, in, like, almost immediately responded, was like, well, that sounds like a boring story. And I was like, is it, though? Like, I don't know. Is it? Is it boring to... I don't know, just have like a slice of life drama. People love that, yeah. you know, like, yeah. people watch like Last of the Summer Wine and like, you know, that nothing important happens there either. And that's yeah. fine. You know, like, I think that that individualism leads to us feeling that fear that we are irrelevant and that our opinions don't matter. The things we do don't matter. Um, but I don't think it has to be extreme. I don't think you have to be perfect at consent to make a big, meaningful change in your life. And that will have a ripple of effect around you. Or even to and, write a book about consent. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think like, it'll be awesome if like 500 people read it. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, that's 500 people that I've, I've hopefully gotten to think a little bit more about what do they mean when they say the word consent? And that's yeah. worth it to me. That's enough. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a New York Times bestseller. You know, I don't have to go on the talk show circuit Yeah, for this to still be valuable. And I wonder if the reason why people are afraid to sit with these issues and have these conversations is they're afraid that if they do it a little bit, they have to do it a lot. Mm. You know, it's like if you care, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this too, where it's like, well, why do you care about this issue and not this other issue? Right. It's like, right. because I am physically incapable of caring about everything all the yeah. time, I would kill myself. Like, it's no. just impossible. So like, yeah, I guess letting people have that grace of like doing what they can, trying to treat people in good faith. So that they can come to you in good faith, even if they didn't at first. Yeah. It's just, it's a little bit less antagonistic. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to get burned. And sometimes yep. someone's going to get through that you're going to be like, ah, I should have seen that one coming. Mm -hmm. And you're going to miss a red flag or whatever. Um, and that's okay. Because that's also part of being human. You know? I think... I don't want to teach people avoidance so much as I want to teach them resiliency. Mm. Yeah. But that's I'm a harder sell. <laughs> that's not, that's not as pretty, right. you know? Yeah. Like how do you, like I can help you t stay completely safe versus like I can s support you a little bit in like figuring out how to rebound. Yeah, I can I can help you figure out how to be rooted enough in who you are that you know that you will ultimately be okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's um, confidence in my book. I, I think I mean I live in I live in earthquake country, so we're always waiting for the next big earthquake. And I think that um <laughs> 
I know she's problematic, but uh, there, you know, there's a, a Andy DeFranco lyric that I always think about, which is about how buildings and bridges were made to sway in the wind Mm -hmm. and how important that is to me that like, yes, you know, it, it, you can have, you can build something, but it does need to be flexible because otherwise something's going to come that shakes you up a little bit and you're going to completely fall apart and harm a lot of people in that process. Right. You know? Right. So like, yeah, there is there is good in being flexible. I agree. I think on that note, can you tell people where they can find you? Sure. Um, well, I've been kicked off of Twitter. <laughs> so, For the best. I mean, yeah, increasingly. Um, yeah. I was kicked I was kicked off Twitter for impersonating libs of TikTok and um giving a a detailed apology for my behavior and I say my in quotations because right. clearly I'm not I'm not her but um yeah and that was enough to get me kicked off worth it <laughs> I have no regrets <laughs> um so instead you could find me on uh Facebook um officially Kitty Striker is the page where I post about book stuff and um, workshops that I'm doing and other projects that I'm working on. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, kitty underscore striker, and that's striker with a Y. So S-T-R-Y-K-E-R and kitty, K-I-T-T-Y. You can also find me in Medium at Kitty Striker. I'm hoping to post more um, on there. I have a huge list of essays that I've been meaning to write um, that I just need to do some microdosing and get onto it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. get those get those essays written. Um and uh yeah, I think those are the those are the main places. Oh, and I have a Patreon. Um if you like my work and you want to help fund it, it is increasingly difficult to find platforms that will allow you to talk about consent who don't consider it to be too sexual. Facebook won't let me advertise, for example, because mm. they consider consent to be obscene. Um, so yeah, I can always use Patreon support. So that's patreon.com slash kitty striker. Um, and I will be posting little sneak peeks to stuff that I'm working on, uh, podcasts that I've been on any kind of behind the scenes stuff that all goes up on there. Cool. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. It's really nice to talk about consent in like such a deep way. Yeah, thank you. It's been it's been really fun. I like to talk about these more juicy questions. Yeah, me um, too. Which actually my publisher would would um scold me if I didn't point out. Yes, I do have a book. I have two books <laughs> out actually. Um so the first book is Ask Building Consent Culture, which is out on Amazon. You can get it at Thrift Books. You can you Local library might even have it. Um, and if they don't, you can ask them for it. So um, that's an anthology of essays from a diverse group of people talking about consent culture in a lot of different areas. It is not meant to give you answers to any of these questions. But again, it encourages you to think about, huh, yeah, I never thought about consent and wrestling, or I never really thought about, you know, consent and parental consent around transition 
Um, it goes into a lot of those issues without giving you like, a, and here's what we should do about it. Mm. Um, and then my workbook is ask yourself building, or uh, ask yourself the consent culture workbook. Um, and same it's out now on Amazon and, uh, was it bookstore.org, et cetera. So yeah, check them out. Give me reviews, even if they're bad. Honestly, the bad reviews of the first book really helped me fine tune the second book. So I absolutely encourage you to tell me what you wanted to see and what I didn't do. <laughs> that really cool. helps me. So that's great. All right, Kitty, thank you. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. The music on this show is by Amelie Rousseau, who plays under the name Sophia Bolt. She's also an amazing music producer, and she was my guitar teacher. I owe her so much. Thank you, Amelie. 